What's up, everyone? This is your boy, Jeremy John. And I'm Matthew White. And we are the Sports Reality Podcast. Just wanted to say thanks for tuning into this episode. And to let you know that you can listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Just go on any of those podcast platforms and search for the Sports Reality Podcast. Hit the subscribe button so you can be up to date on all of our content. Thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the 105th edition of the Sports Reality. My name is Jeremy John, a.k.a. the fourth greatest Grenadian of all time. Perfect. A.k.a. the Little Wayne of podcasts, because I'll get on any podcast and hit it with the J-Train. Perfect. Let's welcome my man, my co-host. What other um, superlatives do you want to go by, uh, Matthew? Um... That's it. That's it for right now. That's I it might for think right it's now. Later. Let's welcome my man Matthew White. In some circles, Barry White. Perfect. And in some circles, Betty White. Perfect. All depends on the mood for the day. Matthew, man, how's the week going? Oh, this is an incredible week, kind of. What? You want to expand? Minus all this rain. You want to expand on why this is an incredible week? You know, everybody's still alive. True. The, you know, some mm-hmm. of the numbers from COVID nineteen is dropping. Hopefully, uh, uh, like that's what I'm talking about. Hopefully, this the numbers continue to drop, so that we can actually have real trends of 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 success dealing with this virus. Uh, have you been out and about, uh, Matthew? Not like a ton, mostly to the post office. Hey, I feel you. you gotta gotta handle business. Um, I did go to the grocery store. I think did I go to the grocery store since we recorded? Um, yes, I did go to the grocery store one time. Then I had to go to Target, uh, one time yesterday, literally walked in, walked out. Uh, but yesterday was such a great day. It was nice and warm. It was crazy. A little breezy. So you weren't like sweating out there. Um, and then the, after I got in, that's when the rain actually came in, but it was really good. It's raining right now in the DMV. Um, but yes, all things good where we are recording. Uh, we have a very good show prepared for you all um i'm i don't want to get used to this per se or i don't want this to become the norm let me let me correct myself i don't want this to become the norm but i'm definitely getting more comfortable talking about sports even though there's no active sports going on you understand what i'm saying Oh, absolutely. I know exactly <laughs> what you what we got you watching 13 year old movies. Huh? What? Perfect. Absolutely. I know what you're talking about. So like this, look, the first couple episodes after, you know, the stay at home orders and stuff like adjusting that period, it was an adjustment period for all of us. We were scrambling for content. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> scrambling for content, reaching for the most like obscure things sometimes but we've been having several events occur 
Um, and this week is is not, you know, not an exception to that. Uh, we we uh, we have a lot to get into. The NFL draft was last week. We'll recap that. We will also recap episodes three and four of The Last Dance. Uh, Matthew Absolutely. has watched The Last Dance, Officially. so he Officially. is ready. Finish yesterday morning. He is ready for it. We'll get into that. We'll also get into Draymond Green. He was on the All the Smoke podcast. With Steven okay. Jackson and Matt Barnes, there's it's re- no way that could be good. It, it, was, it was really good. No, nah, no, nah, I mean like good for like you know, other people, other people. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's it's really good. And another one reason why it was really good for me. This is a barometer of like a good content where even if we disagree, I can still walk away with okay, that's your perspective, or I can. Walk away and just be like, you know, we just don't agree on this. But it was it was worth gaining. Okay. The content was worth gaining. I'm if if we want to transition to like politics, I have no shame in saying this. I've been saying this for now close to four years. Um, we don't gain anything from Donald Trump talking in the media. You are <laughs> fake news. Period. Period. We don't. Not just we, don't we don't. And and not only do I disagree with most most of of most of what he says, I mean it's so egregious that it's kind of like no, I can't even I can't even I'm not going to even let that slide because what you're saying is so ridiculous. Don't be rude. Super ridiculous. And it's not helping our country. We'll get into that a little later. But so back to the All the Smoke podcast, we'll get into the specifics about it. But there were some things where I was kind of like, come on, Dre. No, no, no. I think you're on the wrong side of this. But even though I believe he was on the wrong side of it, it didn't negate the other stuff he was right about. That's probably that's even better. Better uh, example. Like he might have, in my opinion, been on the wrong side of something, but that didn't negate the situations where he was on the right side. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, yeah. So, we'll get into that. We'll also get into uh, the flip of the week. The About Time You Seen That Movie Review. Uh, I will review the movie No Country for Old Men. We'll also get into Meg Thee Stallion Beyonce, Sexual Predators, and our Reddit topic of the week. It will be about... (laughs) It will be about uh, salary disparities among the genders in sports just want to remind you all make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the podcast platform of your choice just google us the sports reality podcast find the podcast platform of your choice subscribe like review i know we are on apple podcast we are on anchor we're on spotify we are on stitcher we are on TuneIn radio and many more so make sure you check us out and give us a nice review so we could grow in the charts uh let's now get into the nfl recap the 2020 nfl draft matthew i'm gonna ask you this question the draft was on three days Uh of course the big night is the thursday night because it's the first round only did you watch at least the first round uh, I saw an update on my phone. I didn't, watch, <laughs> yeah. I didn't see. No, you saw. Uh, my heart, update. my feelings were too hurt 
They were too hurt. What's the thing? After you told me we weren't getting Odell, I, it's, it was done for me. <laughs> you weren't getting Odell. You just was like, I don't even and care. And Trent Williams. <laughs> I don't even care about care. the actual draft itself. <laughs> Look, Do not care. I, and we didn't get Jake from. <laughs> Let me say this. This is the first time in about 10 years, probably, that I have actually watched the draft at home. Last year, I watched it at a restaurant. Shout out to Other Side of Sports with Harold, D, Jeff, and Aaron. They had a watch party last year at Green Turtle. And last year was the first time in, like I said, 10 years where... I actually watched it instead of listening to it in the, on a radio at work mm. or listening it listening to it on an app. This year was the first time I actually watched it in my home. And with everything going on with COVID-19, pretty much everyone had to be home. <laughs> the the, yeah. the prospects, the the scouts, the coaches, the owners, and I actually love the production that ESPN had from that aspect about how they covered the draft literally all the high prospects were at home you know ordinarily you would have the green room which may have about 20 to 25 prospects there and then everyone else is is at home you know with their family and friends and agents well this year everyone was at home and you know a lot of the high prospects had cameras uh, webcams in their home so you're seeing all sorts of stuff with their family their friends the celebration the elation the jubilation we saw that but we also saw some hilarious moments during <laughs> the draft so uh we're gonna get through all of that but let's recap some of the uh selections first the first overall pick was the cincinnati Bengals, and they ended up selecting joe burrow quarterback out of lsu it wasn't a surprise that they did that. They've been, you know, everyone's been talking about he's been going number one. We even said he was going to go number one. Uh, the Washington Redskins selected Chase Young, defensive end out of Ohio State. That's not a shocker either. Uh, this is the second year in a row that the Washington Redskins have drafted local talent in the first round. Isn't that great? Yeah. Like, that's it, really good. It also shows how much talent is in the DMV. Um, now, why that talent isn't playing for DMV schools? Uh, that's a uh, whole different story. Different story, but um, but yeah, uh, we can get into that a little later. But but um, yeah. So that that's good for the Washington Redskins. They were able to select him at number three. Uh, I know for sure. I predict uh, predicted it in our mock draft. The Detroit Lions were going to select Jeff Okuda cornerback out of ohio state uh this is when things got interesting the fourth pick the new york giants mm -hmm. selected andrew thomas offensive tackle out of georgia uh one of your boys matthew perfect no he was, he's supposed to be very good yeah one of your one of your one of your boys um still a highly rated offensive tackle but wasn't the number one guy on draft boards but good selection for the new york giants kind of expected giants, they've, been, they've been hitting on a couple of their recent draft picks yeah, and, and also kind of expected when you drafted Saquon and mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Jones uh, in the last two years. So you kind of thought, okay, they're going to get some help on the offensive line. At number five, the Miami Dolphins selected Tua Tagovailoa uh -oh. quarterback 
out of Alabama. And this is where a lot of people thought he was going to go. Some people thought maybe the Redskins would have traded back to this spot for the with the Miami Dolphins. So the Dolphins would have gotten two at number two, but he was there at number five, so they got him. Uh, The Los Angeles Chargers selected Justin Herbert, quarterback out of Oregon. I don't think Justin Herbert's going to be a good professional quarterback. Um, Can he be a solid backup quarterback? Maybe, but I don't think he's going to be a good starting quarterback. Uh, The Chargers do have Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor will probably start off the season, but Justin Herbert will definitely be in that lineup, especially in the new stadium in Los Angeles. The uh, Carolina Panthers selected Derrick Brown, defensive tackle out of Auburn. Then the Arizona Cardinals selected Isaiah Simmons, linebacker out of Clemson, but um, he... He can play. He's actually like a safety that they ended up putting at linebacker at Clemson. Um, He can play both positions, but in my opinion, I think he's best as a safety and he'll probably end up playing more in the secondary. Uh, He's one of the best defensive players in the draft. Not only can he play linebacker, he can also play slot corner. Uh, so, um, so that should be an interesting, uh, select or he should be an interesting player for the Cardinals at number nine, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected CJ Henderson cornerback out of Florida. And that's when things got real interesting because that was probably one of the first stretches in the draft, which allowed for, you know, other things that happened later in the draft at number 10, the Cleveland Browns selected Jedrick Wills offensive tackle out of Alabama. Um, and then at number 11, one of the other stretches, not that it was a bad selection, but it was just more like maybe they could have gotten someone else. The New York Jets at number 11 selected Makai Becting offensive tackle out of Louisville. He was the highest rated offensive tackle. Maybe the Jets are saying, hey, you can't go wrong with the offensive tackle. That's that good. But I thought and not just me, a lot of fans and even uh nfl experts thought that the jets should have went for our wide receiver with the wide receivers that were on the board still especially after losing robbie anderson so that's what a lot of people thought but hey they ended up getting makai beckton solid pick the raiders they selected henry ruggs out of alabama and he was the first wide receiver off the board um the second wide receiver off the board was jerry judy at number 15 for the denver broncos and then the atlanta falcons selected cornerback aj terrell which allowed for my dallas cowboys they are the dallas cowboys America's team allowed for the Dallas Cowboys to get CD lamb wide receiver out of Oklahoma. Um, and before he was even selected while he was there on television, we had his girlfriend reaching for one of his cell phones and he instantly ripped that cell phone out of her hand, gave her a side eye and continued his conversation that he had on the other cell phone. The other people who were in the room, which I don't know who the other people were in the room. It could have been family members, friends. Um, it, I think there were family members. Um, they looked and they were like, yo, did she just do that? Did she just, you know, try to take his phone when you're in the middle of the draft? Like, and not only that, they had already known that 
He's on the phone at that time. He was actually talking to the Dallas Cowboys at that time. <laughs> Why are you interfering? Just sit there. Relax. Chill. This is not your time. Not only that, look, I don't I don't care what women wear. Like I, I'm not one of these people would say, "Oh, look at her like she's not an upstanding woman because of what she's wearing." Blah blah blah. I'm not one of these people we will get into it a little later uh, during our uh sports free zone when we talk about sexual predators i'm not one of these people who say well look at what she was wearing what did you think was gonna happen no but this can also be true when she was wearing it was like yo you're not going to the club you're in the house <laughs> like she was in one of them freakum dresses and i was just kind of like yo you like, can't wear that around the house you could but let's be real if or it was draft day, stop playing around. If if okay, for example, if she was in the WNBA and she had on a freaking dress, I would have had no problem with that because it is her day. It is her okay. time to shine. But come on, man! Like <laughs> the end up, and I'm not saying that it should have been the story, but the story ended up being, man, y'all see that young lady with that that was with CD Lamb on draft day, <laughs> and then of course the whole issue with the snatching of the cell phone and it's kind of like yo let him handle his business like why are you interfering and then she knew she was wrong because when he snatched it out of her hand she kind of did that awkward look around and be like hold on did anyone see that happen <laughs> and not, yes everyone saw it on live television <laughs> i mean it's, it's record they're recording the red lights on <laughs> everyone saw it we will also get into another situation later but yes CD Lamb, wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys, one of the biggest steals in the draft because he could have honestly went in the top 10. Just like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. These guys were good enough to go top 10 if a team wanted a wide receiver. They were that good. This wide receiving, uh, there were so much wide receivers in this draft. So the fact that he dropped the 17 to the Dallas Cowboys, that was a good thing. Miami Dolphins at number 18 got uh, or selected Austin Jackson offensive tackle out of USC um the Jacksonville Jaguars at number 20 yes at number 20 they selected Clavon Chase on linebacker out of LSU and when let's get to your Minnesota Vikings Matthew They got some players. They did. At, at number 22, they selected wide receiver Justin Jackson uh, out of LSU. The best wide receiver out of LSU this season who caught so many touchdown passes from Joe Burrow. So you got, I guess, uh, the replacement for uh, Stefan Diggs. And then later in the draft, you had another selection, but then traded it to the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners at that pick selected Brian, sorry, Brandon Ayuk, Ayuk, a wide receiver out of Arizona. Um, this is where this was one of the scratchers, the head scratchers at number 21, though, which allowed for Justin ja- Jefferson to slide to the Vikings, Matthew. At number 21, everyone thought Justin Jefferson was going to the Philadelphia Eagles. Instead, the Eagles selected Jalen Rager out of TCU. He's not a bad wide receiver. It's just that if Justin Jefferson's on the board, 
you go for Justin Jefferson. <laughs> um, and it had it was a real head scratcher for for a lot of fans out there, especially the Philadelphia Eagles fans. And it was so funny because one of his NFL comparisons coming in was uh guess who, Matthew? An Eagles wide receiver. Guess who they compared Jalen Rager to? Uh, Terrell Owens. No, no, current Eagles. I'm out, I'm out. Oh, Alshon Jeffrey? No. Does he still play on that team? I think he's still on the team, I think. I don't know, but they he compared they compared uh Rager to Nelson Aguilar. And what is Nelson Aguilar known for? Uh drop passes. Perfect. Yes. Drop passes. <laughs> and that was one of his weaknesses. They say he drops passes. And when they did That's an NFL, when they did an NFL comp, this was months ago. They were like Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> so it looks like they got another Nelson Aguilar on the team. Um at number uh twenty-four. The New Orleans Saints selected Caesar Rees, center out of Michigan. He was actually the best center on the board. So they got a good selection there. Uh, the Packers at number 26. This was another shocker. They selected Jordan Love, quarterback out of Utah. And it's a shocker because they already have Aaron Rodgers on their team. <laughs> so, <Make it> cut. <laughs> so it that would was, be the most Packers thing to do. It was a head scratcher. And then at number 29, the Tennessee Titans selected Isaiah Wilson. And this is where we had one of our other drama-filled moments of the evening. Isaiah Wilson was selected. They showing him, you know, celebrating with his family. His his now his girlfriend decides to sit on his lap and is like, you know, consoling him because Wilson's crying and he's he's his tears of joy, but he's console she's consoling him and she's talking to him and they, you know, she even kisses him. Well, um, let me set up the dynamics for you all. And it's it's kind of important to understand the dynamics. Um Isaiah Wilson, he's black from i think he's from brooklyn new york but that's where he was at least for i think he's from brooklyn but yes so he was there during the draft his girlfriend's white matthew so let's set up the dynamics here (laughs) isaiah wilson is sitting there his girlfriend's kissing him and consoling him isaiah's mother is behind them and isaiah Isaiah's mother says, I need you to get up right now. I need you to move or something to that effect. And you can see based on the body language and the little bit of lip reading that was allowed because of where the camera was that Isaiah Wilson's girlfriend said, no, I'm not. I'm not getting up. And the mother asked again, I need you to get up. She said, no, I'm not getting up. Isaiah Wilson's mother literally picked up the girlfriend and slung her to the side. This did not happen. <laughs> and then <laughs> started happen. talking to Isaiah Wilson. And then that's when the ESPN cameras cut away. Somebody got to send me that. Somebody got to send me that. Dog, I was sending you that. And of course, social media went ablazing. <laughs> and, and the reason why I bring up, and let me, let me, to set this up for you all, especially uh, white people who listen to this podcast. 
there is a race the, the racial element was important to 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 describe it was i know you're probably gonna say no it wasn't but it was because we constantly see throughout history and, in, and even today where white women no law no matter the age or you know no matter the age have always demeaned or disrespected black women in different scenarios or they've always felt that you can't tell them that they're wrong about something because they have the right and liberty to do stuff i'm not making stuff out of my ass when i say that we see this every day we're going to talk about a little bit later with katie couric and her statements but we see this all the time all the time (laughs) so that was like an example of a white woman telling a black woman look i'm not gonna follow your rules and at the end of the day she ended up losing because isaiah wilson's mother ended up slinging her across the room and then you could tell by wilson's mother's body language that she was not happy with the girlfriend and Wilson because she Everybody started talking to Wilson and then the camera everyone's away. So yes. So that was why I brought up the elements of race and how it played into it. So we had that situation happen. Uh just to wrap up some of the notable selections in the first round, the um Kansas City Chiefs ended up selecting Clyde Edwards Hilaire, uh, running back out of LSU. So now they got another running back. Your Minnesota Vikings selected Jeff Gladney, cornerback out of TCU. Let's get it. Um, and the New England Patriots, I think they ended up trading out of the first round. Let me double check. Yeah, I feel like they traded out. Yes. Because, yes, the uh, Chargers ended up getting a second first-round pick, ended up drafting Kenneth Murray, linebacker out of Oklahoma. The first selection by the by the New England Patriots was Kyle Duggar, safety out of Lenore Rhine. Um, it was such a Patriot move to select someone from a little-known school <laughs> to, <laughs> to end up being their first overall or their first selection in the draft. Um, I don't know much about this guy, but um, Lenore Ryan, it is a Division II school uh, in North Carolina. I know about it because I got some letters when I was in high school to come and visit the school just as a student, but uh, I had no intentions of going. Some other... Notable selections in the draft. I wish I had a list of notable selections. Uh, but Jalen Hurts was selected by the Philadelphia Eagles, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, Jalen Hurts, quarterback out of Oklahoma. Do you know why? what's the significance of that selection, Matthew? Because uh, Carson Wentz is constantly hurt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um... A lot of a lot of people are saying that that might be it might be a sign that they're trying to like push Carson Wentz and say, hey, we got this backup here. And Jalen Hurts, after leaving Alabama, actually showed that, you know, he's a good quarterback. It wasn't just that he was on Alabama's roster. No, this guy is really good as a quarterback and if he gets a fair shot to become a quarterback 
I think he's going to be pretty good in the NFL. Uh, but yeah, that was one of their uh, notable picks um, that they had. Now, let's go through some winners and losers of the draft. Uh, one of the winners was the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not just saying that because it was my favorite team. But not only did they get um, the wide receiver C.D. Lamb in the first round, but they were able to get players on the defensive line, get players in the secondary in spots that they needed desperately. Um, and uh, they've really focused their attention on defense, even though Mike McCarthy is a defense, I mean, an offensive type play uh, coach. So that was, uh, they got a good grade from most individuals. Your uh, Minnesota Vikings got a pretty high grade also because of the selections that they got. But some of the losers, though, the Packers, because the Packers did not get really weapons to really help Aaron Rodgers. They did get another running back when their running back room was already pretty deep. So that was one of the questionable selections that they made. Um, so, yeah, it's it, we're going to have to wait and see. Obviously, we're not going to know who really did well until several years from now. But that's just f- one week into it. The fans are fans and experts are already saying these are the teams that are having a decent or who had a decent draft. Um, I am on a website called Athlon Sports, so just take it as it is. They did their own grading. Um, they gave the Dallas Cowboys an A. They gave the Cleveland Browns an A-. minus. They gave the Cincinnati Bengals a C-. minus. Um, and it's funny, they said their best pick was T. Higgins, wide receiver out of Clemson, which T. Higgins is a very good selection for the Cincinnati Bengals when it comes to uh, to to add more talent to their team. But, uh, you know, they say overall the Bengals got a C. Um, the Broncos, they gave them an A. They gave the Lions an A-. minus. They gave the Packers a B. Uh, the Texans a C. The Colts a C minus, uh, Jaguars a B, Kansas City Chiefs a B, the Las Vegas Raiders a B minus, Los Angeles Chargers B plus, the Rams A minus. I might as well go through all the teams real quickly. Uh, Miami Dolphins B plus, your Minnesota Vikings a B plus, and actually your Vikings got another wide receiver in the fifth round, uh, KJ Osborne uh, at fifth round, one hundred seventy seventy seventh pick overall they gave the patriots an a plus they gave the uh, new orleans saints a b giants a b actually i don't feel like going through all these teams so anyways those those they even gave the redskins a uh, b overall so those are some of the notable selections throughout the draft now i do want to quickly talk about the coverage that espn and i'm only talking about espn but from what i understand on the NFL Network side, it was very similar, but because I watched the draft on ESPN, I'm only going to talk about it about it based on what ESPN did. ESPN, uh, you know how they always ask for interesting facts for all draft po- prospects, you know, for the NFL, the NBA, even WNBA draft. They always do that. So... They had these interesting facts for all these prospects. You want to know some of the interesting facts that they had for some of the prospects, Matthew? Uh, I guess so. One of the facts was 
father died in a gruesome car accident at a young age. It's not a good one. Another one. Interesting fact. Arrested for blah, 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 blah. Another one. He grew up homeless and now he made his way to the NFL. Such a redemption story in, in, in about perseverance. Here was one of the most egregious ones. Mother and grandmother overcame crack addiction. What do any of why, why do we as viewers at home really need to know about this? Yeah, I have no idea, Jeremy. And I feel like it's just an agenda to basically stereotype mostly black prospects because at the end of the day, and Brown, because one of them was a Latino prospect, uh, where they spoke about his father dying in a car accident when he was helping someone on the side of the road. And I'm just like, okay, I understand maybe his father's not in his life or hasn't been in his life for a long time. And obviously, he probably did talk about that. But why was that the leading interesting fact? Why was the leading interesting fact that your mother and grandmother overcame crack addiction when we're at the NFL draft? Like, what does that have to do with the actual prospect showing their skills on the football field like, and being part of an NFL team now? Why is it also that a lot of the interesting facts for the white prospects and specifically quarterbacks were, oh, he did well in school. He was on the honor roll. He did this and that. And then for most of the black prospects, it was uh, some sort of story of trial and tribulation to get to the NFL. Um I, I really hate it. And this wasn't the first year they did it. La they've been doing it for years, but the last few years has been getting really egregious with how the coverage is. Also, like I said earlier, I hadn't watched the draft for many years on television. So when you're on the radio, they don't do all of that. They actually just talk about the, the prospect and they talk about the selection and blah, blah, blah. On TV, you have more. You have more liberty and opportunity to show a lot of human interest stories. And I'm not against human interest stories. It's just that the way they made the human interest story is almost like, man, this one black prospect has to persevere through all these terrible things. And they grew up in the hood and they're in the single 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 parent home and and you know they persevered and they did this and that oh how they had to save the life of a family member who had a terrible health situation like one player he ended up i think donating um bone marrow to his sister and they were talking about that and then when it comes to you know white prospects and let's talk about joe burrow joe burrow grew up in poverty himself he, he spoke about it at the heisman trophy uh, award ceremony how he grew up in poverty and he grew up from in, in an area where most people were below the poverty line you didn't hear any of those stories during a draft about him all of it was football related and in the house how intelligent he is off the field we only got one prospect i think i can't remember who it was it was a wide receiver who they ended up saying, wow, he was excellent in the class. In high school, he was on the dean's list all four years of high school. He even had to tell the teacher one time that, yo, you gave me the wrong grade. And this is why he even proved it. Ended up getting the correct grade. Straight A student. It was only one prospect that they did that for that happened to be black. 
all black prospect or most of the black prospects was always like it was almost like poverty porn like let's come up with the greatest story of how they persevered through poverty and all these obstacles uh, unlike other other individuals who were part of it so that was that was my issue with my with, that was my issue with the overall coverage of the nfl draft do you have any thoughts about about that matthew i i, I, I never watched the draft no, I'm just mostly saying mostly those same reasons. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's it, I, don't, I don't give a fuck about their life story, uh, but that's just across the board. Like I don't, I don't really watch college sports too much. And, but yeah, no, nah, that is kind of ridiculous that that happened like for all the rounds. And the thing about it is also ESPN, which does the NBA draft. They must have a different set of producers because the NBA draft does not do that. The NBA really shows the good in a lot of the prospects. Like they they will talk about a lot of the good on court things about the prospects. So I'm kind of like obviously they're different production teams, but it's from the same network. So yeah, ESPN they should really feel ashamed for how yeah they they should really feel ashamed for how they handled the coverage of the NFL draft, especially when they spoke and highlighted. Uh, the life stories for many of these prospects. Let's now get into the NBA and talk about the uh, everything that's happening. And mostly, we're gonna we are mostly gonna get into the Last Dance parts three and four. Um, but before we get into that, uh, possible return dates for the NBA. Um, the NBA did want to have teams return to practice facilities as early as May 1st. Um, but um, we had the player, the Atlanta Hawks players specifically, were very vocal and said, no, we're not trying to return that early because things are not that great in our own community when it comes to the possibility of uh, being the possibility of uh, testing positive for COVID-19. So the NBA took that into consideration and they said they may make a decision by May 8th to try and figure out when the first or earliest date they can try and come back together and have some sort of training camp. So teams could get back into basketball shape and then resume the regular season. Um, LeBron James tweeted something. Matthew, you want to read the tweet for me? Saw some reports about execs and agents wanting to cancel season? Question mark, question mark, question mark. That's absolutely not true. Nobody I know is saying anything like that. As soon as it's safe, we would like to finish our season. I'm ready and our team is ready. Nobody should be canceling anything. That's what LeBron said. All right. So, according to LeBron, and LeBron is usually on the uh, right side, or or he usually has the pulse on how things are going around the NBA. He's usually correct. So, hey, that's a good sign for NBA fans that this season may resume, and uh, we'll be at least be able to get you know some uh, some entertainment coming soon during a time where entertainment is starting to dwindle there's only so many uh movies you can watch there's only so many um television shows you can watch also need some live sports going on in here so that's that's some good news uh let's now get into the last dance parts three and four matthew you watched it i'm gonna give you a out of one um one being the least five being the most um, what's your rating? 
Um, six out of five. Oh, okay. So you pulled a, you pulled a Thaddeus like, hey, like last week. He just might be said on. We had to get him to come back. You, you said that it's it's just that good. Um, it was I, pretty lit. It was pretty lit. I still don't understand how the first two were that crazy though. <laughs> Man, so it, it was another good episode. I would have rated also pretty high. Um, episode two had several themes, uh, or I'm sorry, episode three, parts three and four had several three several themes. Let's start with one of them. I'm fumbling my words. Uh, Bulls versus Pistons rivalry. It goes Hilarious. into the rivalry. It goes into uh, how historically the Pistons actually used to just beat the Bulls all the time. And even when Michael Jordan was, you know, starting to get into his, you know, started to become one of the best players in the league, you know, Michael Jordan won. Listen to this. Michael Jordan won slam dunk championship. He won Uh defensive player of the year and he won the MVP all in the same season. That's pretty good. But came up short to the Detroit Pistons. (laughs) <laughs> and the Pistons that year beat them six times because back then how the the teams how many they're based on the amount of teams that were in the league um, in your division you played your opponent six times nowadays it's four but it's six times so they went zero and six against them <laughs> uh, but even in the playoffs they would win some games but then squander leads the Bulls were known as chokers. In the mid to late 80s, especially when it came to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, So they discuss all of that. They discuss how, you know, even game seven of the 1990 playoffs, how Scottie Pippen had the migraine, you know, went blind. People really, people. And still played the game. He still played. That was the thing. He still played, he but you can tell he wasn't bench. good. You can tell he was struggling. Uh, and the story initially was, okay, he had a migraine. And then it it's over his, over time has morphed into, nah, Scotty choked. And he was using the migraine as an excuse. Matthew, have you had a migraine in your life? Never. Matthew, you don't want to have a migraine. I, uh, I've like, had I'm, a, uh, blind. I've had a couple migraines. Let me tell you something. And I actually had a migraine actually playing basketball. And look, I'm not trying to compare myself to NBA great Scottie Pippen. This is the time to do it, though. But <laughs> make it happen. I had a migraine while playing basketball. And let's just say I did end up vomiting in a trash can in the hallway. And oh, the I migraine did. was so intense that i went i said look i'm done for that i'm going home i went in the car and ended up sitting in the car for about an hour because i just couldn't physically start driving my car to go home oh no like that's how bad it was mind you this is game seven of the eastern conference championship you've played your entire basketball career to get to this point and then you have this migraine it's kind of like, yo, this is the worst time. But Scottie Pippen ended up being ridiculed for this. And, and so they go into that. They show that the Bulls end up losing. Michael Jordan had a very good game. But collectively, the Bulls didn't didn't play well. Um, and then the following year, 
We have the Bulls. They get better. My, did you did you see the part? What or actually, since you saw it, I'm gonna ask you this: What did the Bulls do immediately after losing to the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals that year, Matthew? Did they try? Did they try to go get Rodman? No. Was he, was, was no no look they uh. Oh, is that when they started weight training? Yes, immediately. Uh, <laughs> like said, we're not we're, we're not going home this off season. Um, <laughs> we are in the gym right now. Keep on. We, we the season's going on for us, and that's when Michael Jordan is known to famously do the weight training uh, with uh, Tim Grover and all his other tra- trainers, and within an off season game, close to twenty pounds. And even with the 20 pounds, was able to still be athletic um, throughout their workouts. And another reason why they wanted to, or Jordan wanted to gain weight, this is something that a lot of, I guess, casual fans don't really pay attention. Most NBA players lose weight as the season goes on because of just all the amount of work you do. <laughs> like people just think, okay, you're at, you know, LeBron James, oh, he's at 260, he's going to be at 260 all year. By the end of the year, he he might drop down to 245 based on all the the amount of body weight they end up losing based on all the activities that they do. It's hard to keep on weight when you're a professional athlete. People think that's why a lot of people say, how do you gain so much weight sometimes? That's like a conscious effort of like bad health, like bad, like eating habits. So for you to gain so much weight during an, a, a season, uh, that, that just really shows you really bad because usually you end up losing weight. But anyways, they end up training and then that was the season that they go on and they go make a deep playoff run. This time they are the higher seed against the Detroit Pistons. They beat the Pistons first two games at home in the Eastern Conference Finals. The third game, they beat them in Detroit. So now game four, the Bulls are going for a sweep. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And the Bulls are, you know, killing them that game. You know, they're up. They're winning. It's coming to the, the waning moments of the game, you know, less than a minute. And the Detroit Pistons decide they are not going to finish the game. They're just going to walk off the floor. Oh. And, you know, not only do they walk off the floor, they have to walk in front of the Bulls bench to get to their locker room. And they just keep on walking through. And the Bulls are sitting there kind of like, you serious? Like, y'all just walking off the floor now that y'all losing? And, you know, the Pistons fans are celebrating because they think this is a good thing that they're doing this they think that this is you know they're 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 basically giving the big f you to to the to the chicago bulls but they were i mean they were but (laughs) at the end of the day who ended up looking like fools Uh. (laughs) who ended up looking like the fools the detroit pistons and um Uh, look that's how it goes so the bulls they uh you know they go home they celebrate on the plane they then have to now face the um they then now have to face the Los Angeles Lakers in the 91 finals. But before we get to that, this is the big reason why Michael Jordan to this day cannot stand Isaiah Thomas. No, he will literally leave a club to go beat up Isaiah Thomas if he's in line. Absolutely. Not invited to the cookout. And Isaiah Thomas is in the documentary and he, t- he gives his, his perspective. 
He says, well, <laughs> when we were coming up and we finally beat the Celtics, the Celtics walked off the floor uh, on us. And he said, usually back in the 80s, that's just what we did. We didn't, we didn't, you know, we didn't say, hey, thank you for beating us or congratulations on beating us and, and good luck. He was like, back in the day, we didn't, you know, shake hands. Might set your car on fire. He's like, we just, you know, you went your separate ways. And um, so then Michael Jordan said that was bullshit. <laughs> and then Michael Jordan said, and even if you believe what you believe, he said, when we were losing to you all, we were there and we were congratulating you all. We gave we 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 let you all know that, you know, you are were the better opponent. You were the better team in this series and we want to say good luck on the rest of your way in the finals and he said yo that's sportsmanship he's like yeah did i want to actually admit that i wasn't as good as you all know but you know that i'm being a i'm being an adult i'm being a big bigger man about this uh and you know at the end of the day it is a sporting event also i know professionals get paid and there's legacy on the line and stuff like that but it is a game so after the game you just think okay you know, you say say what you got to say, say your pleasantries, and then you keep on going. But for the Pistons to not do that when the Bulls finally beat them, it came across as very, like, a sore loser. Like, you you just, you you're, it also came off to me as front-running. Because when you were but winning. that's what they were. You, when you were winning, everything was good. But as soon as y'all are losing, it's always, oh, well, is this person's fault, or is this, or is that, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So Michael Jordan couldn't, could, couldn't, he didn't, <laughs> you saw the clip. He was just like, yeah, he's only saying this now because it's hindsight. It's been 25 years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or 50 years or however long it's And been. Isaiah hinted to that. He said, yeah, now looking back, obviously, uh, I wouldn't have yeah. done that, especially with the backlash that we got. So Isaiah. Is Isaiah suspended from the NBA? <laughs> <laughs> How did they get him on this dock? So Isaiah is, I mean, he hinted to, look, part of the reason why I wouldn't do this again is because of the backlash, not because it was the wrong thing to do. It's like, nah, turn these cameras off. <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, so that, that, that came up. Now, we're now move on to the Bulls facing the Lakers. Bulls have the higher seed. But game one, your Los Angeles Lakers came out victorious. Sam Perkins had a Somehow. wonderful game. And because they had the second best Laker on their team. And more importantly. Third best, my bad. More importantly, I'm surprised the documentary did not get into this at all. Do you remember that game, Matthew? Jeremy, absolutely not. I'm just saying, maybe you've gone back no. and watched. I mean, I don't remember no, no, that no. game. I remember, obviously, the 92 series and on, but I don't remember the 91. But And even then, I was still a child. I had to go back and watch it again. But game one, Michael Jordan missed the potential game-winning shot in game one. And I'm surprised the documentary did not get on that, did not speak what? on that. That's Michael Jordan's production company. They made it. What? Perfect. You know he cut that out. 
<laughs> but uh, I wish somebody would try to make a sports reality doc with all the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I'm actually surprised they didn't, you know, talk about that, especially how they're getting into other bad things that have happened with the Bulls and uh-huh. Michael Jordan. I thought they were going to talk about funny hey, things. <laughs> I thought they were going to talk about how he missed the game winning shot. And Matthew, I went back. This wasn't recently. This was a few years ago. I had done it. I went back and I looked okay. up uh, like old news clippings of like In after Popeye's research. I like it. <laughs> after um, that game one, you know, after uh, game one, this is after beating the Pistons, having that series, and then just losing game one. The question was: Is Michael Jordan clutch? That was the question going around on in sports media. Is Michael Jordan clutch? Hey, well, I, he think, sh- I think we figured that one out. <laughs> <laughs> he showed us. Didn't he take was, too long. He didn't, it didn't take too long. Just a couple days later, he came through, um, had that monster game, and then had the very most unnecessary uh, layup in, in NBA history, but it's still that spectacular. Was that was the dumbest. There's no point. If he should have, what is it? If he knew he wasn't going to flush it, he could have done anything else. <laughs> anything else. Had it on the left side, switched it to the right, laid For it no up. no reason. And then, there, was no, there was nobody up there trying to block a shot, take a charge. There was, I don't know. Look, it was it was dope. It was lit. It was kind of like when you're playing NBA 2K and you accidentally yep. hit the wrong button and you're doing something in. fancy and it still goes. Yep. <laughs> That's his last resort on uh, in horse. <laughs> <laughs> he was down two letters. <laughs> Yo, it is the most unnecessary move, but it's one of the like moves that everyone. When they think about Michael Jordan, that's one of the moves. That's one of them. Oh, it's up there. In game? <laughs> For no reason? What is what is happening? Then the series moves on to L.A. And the Bulls end up beating them uh, all three games in L.A. Game five was actually pretty close. Um, going into the fourth quarter is a tie game. And um, Michael Jordan ends up... Sp- hitting john paxton for several buckets paxton goes off he was open in the fourth (laughs) the fourth quarter yes that goes with the phil jackson phil jackson had to tell michael jordan hey (laughs) paxton's open just 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 pass him the ball have you heard of this (laughs) nobody ever told you what this was No, yeah, it's so. My man text winter dog (laughs) it's uh, oh and i'm glad you you know what i forgot to Actually, add that as one of the themes. We'll talk about it coming up next. Uh, but but yeah, Michael Jordan ends up hitting Paxson for several clutch buckets. The Bulls end up it's winning. The most assists ever. Uh, he averaged ten, what eleven assist? Was it eleven assists in that series? Bro, he was dishing them out. The I most. Think, what is it, bro? The most assists by a non-point guard in NBA yeah. Finals history. So, uh, it had to be double Michael Jordan's regular season average, too, I assume. Perfect. <laughs> so that happens. But I'm glad you brought up Tex Winter. Tex Winter, the Legend. architect of the triangle offense. He was doing it when he was at Kansas State and back in the 60s. He came Drawing up with triangles this. everywhere. And the goal of the triangle offense is actually pretty simple. Movement the, and fluidity. Uh, the the the, the issue the issue is players the, the the issue with the triangle offense for some players 
it's the amount of variations off of it Too because much. there's no set like play uh-huh. it's just you pass to the wing or corner <laughs> move create a triangle with three players and then work off of each other that way <laughs> basically you three have now created a three initiated on three. the triangle <laughs> yes you created a three on three instead of a five on five and as many of us know three on three basketball is more wide open than five on five basketball, especially when you get a, a what is it a slower big on you or something like that, in and the then the variation. So yes, but how the text how Tex Winter ended up getting the triangle offense installed was after Doug Collins was fired. Doug Collins, hey, shout out to Doug. Doug Collins was important for the Bulls still. Like Doug Collins oh, got the Bulls. Into very, they became competitive under Doug Collins. That's when Michael became like the man in the NBA. That that year, he won all those awards. Uh, Doug Collins was the head coach, and Michael loved Doug because ultimately Everybody all the plays, <laughs> ultimately all the plays ended up for Michael Jordan. Phil Jackson's on that coaching staff, and Phil Jackson is saying, "Hey, you got to get some of these other guys it's team involved. ball." <laughs> You got to get them involved if you want this team to go far. Uh, Doug was kind of like, nah, you know, we got Michael. Michael mm. Michael can do it. Tex Winter saying, look, you got to get other guys involved. Look, I got this triangle offense. Let's do it. Doug is like, nah, we're not doing triangle offense. Iso ball with Michael Jordan. That's what we're doing. Boom. Well, you know, management was now kind of like, ah. Even got to the point that Tex Winter was not on the bench during games. <laughs> How are you an assistant coach? Yeah, you're not on the field. <laughs> you're assistant coach. You're not on the bench. So things things got bad. Things soured with Doug Collins. Management said, "Look, we think Doug might be the person holding us back. We want to go to Phil Jackson as the head coach. They go to Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson obviously has Tex Winter as the offensive." Advisor on the team, our offensive assist, assistant coach for offense. That's when they start winning. They end up winning. They end up winning all these titles that we know of. Boom, boom, boom. Let's now go through some of the other themes of uh, the series. And uh, if I can have my oh, now let's go back because the one thing that we love about this series is it's not all in chronological order. Things Very are all over the place. Things are. Out of order, but for a reason. They'll talk about something, then they'll flash back to why it's like this or why. So let's talk about Scottie Pippen. This is now 1998. He's returned to the lineup. The team is actually, you know, has gotten better now that he's in the lineup. But someone has taken a back seat now. Because in Charles Barkley's absence, Dennis Rodman is really blowing up. Dennis Rodman is scoring more points. Dennis Rodman is being more, being part of the offense a lot more than just rebounding. So, Scotty comes back and Rodman's thinking like, all right, well, I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing and then we're going to add Scotty Pippen and we're going to just be even like better than before. And it became more of the status quo. Scotty Pippen now is leading in every category outside of rebounds and points. So he's, you know, assists, steals, you know, things like that. And 
Dennis Rodman's not too happy. Also, Dennis Rodman and his, you know, mental health is taking a real hit. And that's when, you know, they flash back to Dennis Rodman and his days in Detroit. How Dennis Rodman was such a great, how he was such a great defensive player for that team. And he was the one that, one person that the Pistons really needed to get past the Celtics. And then obviously to beat the Lakers and to beat the Trailblazers and to also beat the Bulls along the way. He was real integral because now the Pistons had a player that they can really put on Michael or Scotty, depending on what's going on. They also implemented the Jordan rules, which was literally just double team Jordan before he could get to the baseline or before he could have enough steam to take off from the free throw line. Uh, obviously it's a little more complex but for time i'm not going to get into it but basically it was the double team and if he got past you then it was foul and then was it was to allow everyone else beat you instead of michael jordan beating you well dennis Rodman back to him he's in detroit but they win and then actually and then he's not too happy with life he even contemplated suicide outside of auburn hills the arena for the Pistons. So luckily he said he fell asleep. And when he woke up, a police officer was there. He woke up to a police officer uh, tapping on the window and asking him to step out the vehicle. They did a welfare check on him. He said he was fine. But then that eventually led to the trade to the San Antonio Spurs. And when he was in San Antonio, that's when Dennis Rodman, the rock star, came out. Dennis Robbins started dyeing his hair, started getting the tattoos, started becoming a rock star, partying, things like that. And then eventually things soured in San Antonio. That's how he ended up in Chicago. Does well with the Bulls for the first two years, but now it's year three. He's not too happy with how things are going. And then also, you know, he talks about his depression settling in. So then Dennis Robin, in the middle of the regular season, tells Phil Jackson. What does he tell Phil Jackson, Matthew? needs a vacation what kind of vacation uh 48 or anything that he can get obviously, <laughs> honestly he but, says i need a vacation and i need as much what, time as i want as i can hey, look he was trying to get 12 hours two hours <laughs> anything 30 so, minutes so what did phil jackson do phil jackson ends up calling michael jordan and saying hey i need to talk to you they, they you talk know in the it's offense. bad when the head coach hits up Michael Jordan to ask permission. <laughs> and he's like, look, <laughs> that's true. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> what? He's like, yo. Michael, we look, we need a conference call. <laughs> Dennis needs some time off. <laughs> and then Michael's in the office like, right now. <laughs> Michael's like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean vacation? We're in the middle of the- 48 hours. <laughs> We're in the middle of the regular season. What do you mean a vacation? And he's like, what about me and my vacation? <laughs> he's like, if anyone needs a vacation, it's me. Nah, nah, dog. Nah, dog. <laughs> no, it's different. Michael Jordan could go to Dairy Queen. <laughs> uh, so they come to an agreement. Look, Dennis has 48 hours to do what he has uh, to do. Uh, Dennis Rodman leaves. He goes to Las Vegas. Has probably the best 48 plus hours because 48 hours, 48 hours later, (laughs) 
he's still not with the team. And the team was, uh, I don't know. You know, I wish they had, I wish they had addressed. And I, we could probably figure it out on Google now which games he missed or which what was the like the time period the dates but Dennis Rodman would still currently be on vacation <laughs> if not for Michael Jordan <laughs> because Michael Jordan had to go to Vegas <laughs> to go get Dennis Rodman <laughs> and he goes into the hotel room and Carmen Electra's in the room <laughs> And Carmen Electra is. is hiding from Michael Jordan because she doesn't want to see or doesn't want Michael Jordan to see her with Dennis. Dennis comes back with the team to Jordan. He 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 sits out a, a couple games after that just to, you know, recover, I guess recover from the 48 plus hours Rehydrate. that he had. And then Scott, uh, Phil Jackson had a had a drill in practice where he said, look. It was a running drill, was it? He had um, where basically it was Dennis Rodman in the back, and they had them running, and the drill was to basically get Dennis in shape. But the other players were upset because they're like, "Yo, we're running now." So the drill was Dennis was going to be in the back, everyone else is in the front, and when Phil blows the whistle, Dennis has to basically run all the way to the front of the line. So Michael's telling the teammates, "Hey, look." When that whistle's blowing, y'all better uh <laughs> y'all better slow down so Dennis can catch huh. up. Huh. Little did Michael know, Dennis was still in shape. <laughs> he didn't need his vacation. <laughs> Dennis was running and outrunning everyone. So Dennis was in front the whole time. And then they ended up stopping the drill. So then um other themes in the documentary. Um, they talk about Dennis Rodman and his upbringing or not necessarily how he got to the NBA. And remember, I told you last week that if you thought Scottie Pippen's road to the NBA was, was interesting. Uh, wait, wait till you hear Dennis Rodman's Dennis Rodman uh, lived at home with his mother. Dennis Rodman finished high school and he was just in the house chilling because that was pretty much for him at that time. That was the end. You graduate from high school and then you just find a job and try and do something. Well, he's at home and his mother had an, I think she had an accident at work, but pretty much she wasn't working and Dennis wasn't bringing in money. And the mother was like, look, if you're not bringing in money, you got to get out of my house. You're only, you're, you're a hindrance to me. Dennis left the house, was homeless for a little bit, just started playing basketball one day or started playing it consistently. That's Real, the crazy part. Realized realize that, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. Ended up going to a community college and became the star basketball player at the community <laughs> college. Not only did he become the star basketball player at a community college, he was so good at a community college that NBA scouts saw him and he ended up Bro. being drafted <laughs> in the NBA and had the illustrious career that he ended up having. He, he spoke about... How um, he learned how to rebound. How he said he would literally study. Okay, that wasn't that was crazy. That was crazy. How he said what? he would study just everyone and how their shots banged off the rim. He said everyone's different. And then when he did his yeah. breakdown of different players, that was phenomenal. 
He was like, he, oh, and he Michael. He said he took his boys to the gym and just have him them shoot from all over the place. <laughs> yes. He said, Your boy, my boys that don't play basketball, I brought them <laughs> to the gym to miss shots so I could Throw it at them. the rim. <laughs> and he said that's how he learned to read the angles of the ball coming off the rim. Look, I'm tired of people saying athletes aren't intelligent. Their intelligence is just different because he was able to figure that out. Like you can't just get shooting with people who can't shoot (laughs) basketball. Look, you can't get a road scholar. A road scholar can't figure this out. A road scholar cannot give you the not going to out rebound Rodman. They're not going to give you the algorithm of where the ball is going to be when someone shoots it. But Dennis Rodman figured it out. Dennis Rodman said, oh, I know when it hits the rim this way, it's going to go here. So I'm just going to get there before anyone else. And that's how I get the rebounds. And when you go back and look at Dennis Ryman highlights, a lot of times it's situations like that. It's he's just there. Like he's there and no one else is there. (laughs) And then because he's so athletic, when he did have to actually go get it over someone, that's when he used his athletic, his, his athletic ability. But not every time he had to like outwork the next guy he just knew where it was going so that that's just phenomenal that they um that they addressed that um now let's uh what what did you see the teaser for parts i haven't seen the teaser five and six they are going to basically how michael jordan ends up being a cultural and business icon so they're going to talk about that and then how he, how the Bulls ended up becoming like this rock star team in the early 90s. And then obviously his interactions, there's going to be some, man, it's going to be a little bittersweet on Sunday because they're going to reference Kobe Bryant a couple times. I know for sure. So, it's going to come up. So it, that's going to be real interesting. Uh, other news in the NBA, I do want to talk about the All the Smoke podcast interview with Draymond Green. Draymond Green uh, spoke about several things. But the the two big stories that he spoke, or three, uh, he spoke about how he ended up being recruited to Michigan and how um, he was actually supposed to go to Kentucky. He he committed to Kentucky and then said, uh, or was it Florida? Florida. He committed to Florida. I think, or can, one, okay, one of those schools. I can't remember. Because the game that he went to was a Kentucky-Florida game. But it was one of those schools he committed to. But he committed to without his um, parent, his mother knowing. His mother found out because she's internet savvy and was on there and saw something that said Draymond Green committed. She got upset, told him, look, you know, nah, you can't do that. Um, and he ends up decommitting. Uh, he ends up uh, getting news from um, Tom Mizzo. Head coach, or he ends, Tom Izzo ends up getting word that Draymond Green committed. And Izzo is like, why do you commit? Like, why don't you come to Michigan State? And Draymond's like, look, you never really offered me a, a, a scholarship. He's like, well, I'm offering you a scholarship right now. Mind you, they're cursing at each other on the phone during this time. Um, and that's how, he, that's how he got his scholarship to Michigan State. He was there for four years, had a very great college career. Um, he should be in the college basketball hall of fame when it's his time. He's now on the, he has his Jersey retired in Michigan state. So he, uh, he ends up getting to the NBA second round pick. And he talks about that. How he's like, look, how was I player of the year? 
and I got drafted in the second round. <laughs> How am I player of the year the same year that like Anthony Davis is in the draft, and I go and I get drafted in the first in the second round, and Anthony Davis is first overall pick, like. I understand Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, but how is it such a big drop-off now? He talks about that. Then he gets into the whole situation with Kevin Durant. And he opens up about how Kevin Durant even ends up with the Warriors. He said, look, I didn't go to Kevin Durant crying to him when we lost to the Cavaliers in the finals. He said, I was already kind of recruiting him previously. And he said also his agent, BJ Armstrong, when he when Draymond Green signed his deal, he was like, look, this is the max you could get. But if you take less, the Warriors can then get a player in 2016 and they could get a player like Kevin Durant if you take this pay cut. And that's why Draymond Green said, OK, I'm going to take I'm not going to take as much money, but he still took close to the max. But he said, I'm going to take a little bit less so then we can still accommodate Kevin Durant with Harrison Barnes coming off the books and other, other people coming off the books. We can accommodate Kevin Durant. He said, and then obviously once we lost Kevin Durant was having his situation in Oklahoma and he said, look, if you come here, we can win. And obviously they won the first year, but he speaks about how after the first year, Kevin Durant was not happy with how things were going in Golden State. And what have we been saying, Matthew, for months now about Kevin Durant? Um, a lot of different things. Because, you know, like, uh, that whole situation, you called him a lot of uh, B-words and other expletives, I think. I don't, I don't know Perfect. what you're talking about. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but we, we've been saying for months that... Kevin Durant didn't seem happy playing basketball the last few years. Yes, they won titles, but he didn't seem happy. And when Dr- does Kevin Durant seem happy in the NBA, though? Perfect. Right the about Oklahoma that. when they were losing? Yeah, I guess so. When, when, Jeff he, when, Green, he, when they had Jeff Green and James Harden and Russell Westbrook, he was happy, but they you saw what that got them. <laughs> so then he talks about how uh, Kevin Durant was kind of like, oh, you know, why is why is Steph and Clay looking me off? And Draymond had to tell him, look, they're not looking you off. They're just scorers and shooters, kind of like you. Like they're gonna have these moments of tunnel vision. And then um, he said they obviously won the title again. He said, but it was the eighteen nineteen season. Remember they had that blow up against the Clippers. Uh, <laughs> and he opened yeah. up about that story and he explained it. He said, look. I got the rebound and I was going down court and he says, Kevin is asking for the ball, but Draymond's like, let's push because the clock is going down. We're not trying to do a one-on-one isolation. Let's push and make them have to basically decide who they're going to guard. And then I'm going to dump it off to whoever's open. And he said, Draymond saying, look, the whole, my whole intention was to push the ball and then dump it back to Kevin Durant so he could do his patented pull-up three like he has done several times. Didn't he do that twice against LeBron in the finals, Matthew? I mean, he does. He, he literally, that is literally his go-to move. <laughs> so he said, but he said, <laughs> when Dray, Draymond says this, he says when he's like about to like look to pass because he's thinking Kevin is running along the wing, 
he looks and he's like, well, Kevin's not there. And that distracted him because now he has to try and figure out at the last minute where he's trying to go. He ends up turning over the ball. They go to overtime. Kevin Durant comes to the bench and he said, you should have effing passed me the ball. Like uh. effing passed me the ball. And Draymond's like, look, you should have been like running up the court because I was trying to give you the ball. They start arguing. And um, and that's when Draymond was like, look, man, I've been doing this well before you got here. Like, this is what I do. Like, we've been doing this. And he said that that comment, we, we've been winning before you got here. We won a title before you got here. He was like, and I know what I'm doing. Like, this is what we do. They end up having to split them up. They say they don't even talk during overtime. They lose the game. And then they fly back to, uh, to Oakland. Um, after, when they get off the plane... Uh, he says that his uh, f- then fiance at the time was actually on the team flight with them. He says how. Um, a side note: This made me think about the time when uh, when uh, Phil Jackson was talking about LeBron James' posse, or yeah, Phil Jackson was talking uh, about LeBron James' posse. How they they wouldn't they should they would never fly on team flights. Why is Draymond Green's fiance on the team flight? Because what it happens. Mean? These they, these things happen. What they do that. But anyways. He said he says he goes to warm up the car so his uh, fiance can be in the car because he thinks the meeting is gonna be real quick in the terminal. He says him and him and Steve Kerr and Bob Myers are sitting there for close to two hours talking about this situation with Kevin Durant, and they're like, "Hey, you know, can you apologize to Kevin?" He's like, "Look, I'm not apologizing because I meant what I said. Like, I meant everything." He was like, "And Kevin is at fault on this." They said, "Hey, look, all right." He's like, "Sleep on it." They don't care. They're like, they're like, <laughs> sleep on it. We'll address. We'll talk to you tomorrow about the situation. They go home. They go back to practice. Uh, they go to shoot around because they had a game that night. It was a back to back. And at shoot around, they're like, hey, um, sir, are you gonna apologize to Kevin? And Draymond laughs, and they're like, whoa, that's not kind of what we thought. You, <laughs> the reaction you're gonna have. And he's like, yeah, I'm laughing because this doesn't make sense. And they're like, well, uh, okay. If you're not going to apologize, we're going to suspend you for the game. And then he says, all right, well, I'll take the suspension because I'm not apologizing to Kevin Durant for for what I believe in and what I said because I meant what I said. And he said, you all only want me to apologize because you all already know Kevin Durant's not coming back unless you all coddle him. And what, ha- what ended up happening? Fast forward to uh, later in the year. To current? <laughs> to current. <laughs> Kevin Durant leaves, uh, and he even says, "Well, you know, it's things within the organization that I didn't like." Blah, Draymond's blah, blah. fault. He even, even, yeah, he even said Dray, that the situation with Draymond played a role in him, um, you know, leaving the team. And this is where we are. So that is the one issue where I say I, I am in agreement with Draymond Green. This is the issue that I say I'm not in agreement with Draymond Green. Draymond Green addresses his situation with Charles Barkley. Remember, Charles Barkley for years has been going at it. And this is the thing. NBA players need to realize when Charles Barkley is saying what he's saying, most of it is for comedic elements for he's the production. also better than most of the players in the NBA. Perfect. <laughs> You're like, right about that. <laughs> like, there's truth to his statement. And yes, he may go overboard with what he says, but it's really... He's going overboard because he's exaggerating on purpose. Like he's not. Yeah. Like, People don't try to fight Shaq about this because Shaq is seven foot two, 
People like to come at Charles Barkley because he's only 6'5", I guess. Also, Shaq ain't as funny mm. as Charles Barkley. That's true. That's true. No, Shaq is way worse than Charles Barkley. I agree. He is. He, he is. broke up the Lakers. So, we have the situation where, you know, for, for several years, Draymond Green and, and Charles Barkley have been going at it through the media. And then, obviously, this season, Charles Barkley made the comment that, you know, Draymond Green is averaging uh, triple singles, you know, because he's just like, look, he says, look, you don't have Steph, you don't have Clay, and, and your stats still seem to be worse Uh-oh. than when they're there. <laughs> you finally have time to shine. So then Draymond Green says, uh, Charles is just jealous because he hasn't won a championship and I've made so much more money than he has made and that I'm a similar player to him. So he's just jealous. This is where I say Draymond Green is wrong. First of all, <laughs> this is where. <laughs> first of all, like Charles Barkley is, is on the 50 greatest basketball players list and he will always be on that list he will always be a top 50 nba player unless we literally get like multiple lebrons and kobe's and stephs and kevin durant's and harden uh, no let me not say hard back to back like decades worth yes of these type players world superstars (laughs) that's when charles barkley will not be a top 50 greatest player of all time we would have to get generational talent multiple times over for several decades in a row (laughs) so that's why i say charles barkley will always be better than draymond green and charles barkley even without winning rings is a far superior basketball player to Draymond Green and his his impact on a game is more impactful than anything Draymond Green has ever done yes Draymond Green has averaged close to triple doubles but that doesn't mean that i mean that doesn't mean he's better than Charles Barkley Charles Barkley was the lead dog on every team he played on except the Rockets at the end of his career Charles Barkley was an Maybe MVP that, yeah. that gave Jordan the fits. <laughs> that those Suns teams gave the Bulls the fits. And Absolutely. you're not going to tell me Dan Marley. You're not going to tell me Dan Marley and Kevin Johnson were the reason. No, that was Charles nah. Barkley. Nah. <laughs> with the help of those guys. What's my man that dunked on Mark Jackson too? He was on that team. Tom Chambers. <laughs> hey, shout out to Tom Chambers for sure. And then also the thing about also all the smoke Draymond Green, Steven Jackson, and Matt Barnes are very similar type players. They should not be in the same... They should not be allowed to talk together. Perfect. The three of them. I couldn't believe that this this happened at some point. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. I The thing about nah, them, they're kind of like... called Derek Fisher over. They're kind of <laughs> like birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> they're, and, and hear me out on this. It has no, They're similar players. Like, they're guys who were impactful for their teams. They're guys Beverly. They're guys who will be part of championship teams. Obviously Steven Jackson, the 03 Spurs team. Yeah, Barnes at the end of his career with the Warriors and Draymond Green who has won three titles with the Warriors. But also at the end of the day, there were three and four guys who were better than them on those teams that allowed them to also still be who they are. Absolutely. Especially the Spurs team. Like the Steven Jackson team like Steven Jackson wasn't supposed to be good. Like, and, he was randomly good when, uh, what is it? 
like out of the blue for the Spurs. And also, let let's be fair. Also, to players like Stephen Jackson and Barnes and and Draymond Green, they worked hard. I'm not going to oh, sit here and say they were they're on the co- coattails of other guys. But yeah, you, Matt you, Barnes was trying to fight people eight hours away, dog. But, That's dedication. But you have to look at the context. Stephen Jackson on that uh, Spurs team. Fifth option. Tim Duncan. Tony Parker. Man, Manu Ginobili. And at that time, you still had um, David Robinson. At the end of his career, but David Robinson's on that team. Correct? I, I believe so. I think yeah. he's on that team. It's John I, Elliott might have been on the bench, too. I don't know. But the, these guys were more impactful than Stephen Jackson oh, at that time. Absolutely. Matt Barnes, when he finally wins with the Warriors, and even not even the Warriors, let's, let's even talk about the Clippers. Fifth option, probably. I, he, the, the We Believe Warriors. Defender. The We Believe yeah, Warriors. Oh, yeah. That was his team. That was his team. You had Jackson, who was better than him, Stephen Jackson. You had Man Barnes. Davis. You had Beadrins. You had Petrus. These are other guys Everybody. who. Uh, Jason Richardson. Oh. Was Jason Richardson oh. on that team? I think so. Yeah, I think he was on that team. Yeah, I think. <laughs> I think he was. So yeah, so you had those guys. Draymond Green, same thing. Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, greatest Matt shooters Barnes. of all time. I mean, what is it, Harrison Barnes? Yeah, I, yeah. Offensively, Harrison Barnes, uh, Andrew Bogut, who also helped him defensively. Oh, shout out to Bogut. Andre Iguodala, sure. Sean Livingston. Oh, like these are guys absolutely. who. Who also helped you. So for you to then go at Charles Barkley, who typically was <laughs> the man and only man on his team and is still part of the 50 greatest basketball players of all time. Sorry, bro. I don't think. He, no, no, no. You can't say it's because he he doesn't have rings. Look, even when Shaq says that to, Co- uh, to Charles Barkley, it gets tired because it's like, all right, you're kind of resorting to the. I have nothing else. I have the wild card. I'm about to just drop this. I have nothing else to do. Let me just say this. You got no rings. And that's supposed to now <coughs> negate everything that you said uh, going into it. Yeah, that that's ridiculous. That's that's ridiculous. So that's the side where that's I why people don't like Dray- Draymond. That's why people don't like Draymond sometimes. And that's, and, and that's the thing. I understand some people don't like him. I, I like him as a player. I do. But I call him out on his BS. Just like most of the players that I like, I'm not just gonna ride Except with for you. LeBron. No, I call him out on his BS when it's time. Okay. Make believe day still. The, the only person that I, the only person that I might not call out, <laughs> the only person I might not call out is Michael Irvin, the the playmaker. Perfect. That, that might be. Uh, what do you mean? What could you call out Michael Irving for? You know, you know his his uh, nothing. <laughs> Well, nothing. you're right. That's why. Nothing. There's nothing Everyone to... knows everything. He's perfect. <laughs> Losing recipes, dog. Stop playing with him. So, yeah. But but the interview is great, actually. It's great. And all the Smoke podcast is actually really good. Um, yes, their episodes are pushing close to two hours, kind of like ours. But oh, no. they're, they're, they're good. They're good. They're good episodes. Oh, no. There's no way that they could be as good as us, though. I don't. Yeah, not you're Matt, right. Not yeah. Matt Barnes and... Steven Jackson get he has a he has some crazy tattoos I do like that about him the difference between all the smoke podcasts and the sports reality podcast is I'm a beat I'm gonna say it like Kanye West said all I need is the infrastructure perfect that's hey, all I need that's, that's what I'm saying where look uh we gotta talk to what's my man Ralph Lauren he gotta cut the check it's almost that time so yeah man 
Just like Kanye was like, let me go to these brands because they have the infrastructure. <laughs> hey, man. Factory. Showtime, ESPN, CBS Sports, MC Sports, Fox Sports, Complex, whoever. Howard Stern. You know, all we need is the infrastructure. That's all. Ron Artest Radio. <laughs> and we right here. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that, that will wrap it, up, wrap it up for our NBA segment. Let's now get into our quick hitters. Um, NHL possibly planning to do a 24-team playoff format. 24-team playoff format. Uh, divide the divisions. Um, there's four divisions in, in hockey and then have the top six teams in each division and then they all play each other and then then play then the winners of the divisions will play it out like the normal series and also major league baseball is thinking about doing a three 10 team divisions and in each division each division will be based at one location so they're thinking about possibly doing a location in st petersburg florida one in arlington texas and one in arizona you split up the teams 10 10 10 have them battle it out and then have the top um i think it was top four teams from each division make the postseason You'll have first round buys and then have the regular pl- uh, postseason format. Um, are you interested in any of those formats? Um, I don't know. I'm interested in like I don't know though. Right. I think I think they're good formats, especially for this season and how how things are gonna gonna play out. Like, especially if you're still trying to have a season to still end it within a reasonable time so you can have a full season next year. I think these options are really good. Um, That's what they're going to have to start looking at. And it's it's getting late now. And um, also keeping the teams in central locations. So you're limiting the travel because I feel like the more you travel, the more likely the the percentage Mm -hmm. of you getting COVID-19 gets even higher. So I think if you lock down in a way, these, these teams in a certain area, you say, Hey, or at least two to three areas might be like basketball camp. Like, like, yeah. And and not only that, (laughs) let's, for example, let's say you have to play a team, but but you're only traveling from like St. Petersburg to Texas or to Arizona. You're not going from St. Petersburg Mm -hmm. to New York to Detroit, to Washington, to LA. Yeah, yeah. You're staying within two other cities outside of your base. So that that those are that's a good idea. And the same thing with hockey, they're proposing to possibly put it in four different areas and then play it out that way. Um and all like of these the outdoor idea you had the best too. Like that might look they need to figure out how to do that. And then all of these uh situations are gonna have possibly f- no fans. So Oh no! Nah. Oh yeah, there's not gonna be any fans in any sports until next year. So until yeah. at least football season. So yeah, so um, so yeah, that is that is the plan right now for both those uh, leagues, or that's what they're proposing. They're not it's not in it's not set in stone, but uh, that is stuff that they are definitely uh, proposing. Let's now get into our sports-free zone. Some people say it's the most entertaining segment of a sports <laughs> podcast when we don't talk about sports. But, hey, 
We'll take it's it. It's still good. We'll take it however we can get it. Um, let's first get to our flip of the week, Matthew. Brought to you by Matthew White. Matthew, this is a tricky one. What is our flip of the week? Uh, it well today is apparently Travis Scott's birthday, and he has a what is it Nike collab with Air Max two seventies that should release potentially on his website sometime today. I know a lot of people have been like monitoring it, but those should resell extremely well. What is the uh, retail value or potential retail value? I think what is it? I think is one twenty nine. Okay, and but the re- the, and in the your opinion, be, uh, what will be the resale or the average resale value? Fourish, fourish, but it depends on size a lot. Probably should get to around four hundred ish. Matthew, uh, maybe in um, maybe next episode we need to get into more in depth about how and why the resale prices are how they are because for example you just mentioned one of the reasons is possibly when it comes to shoes specifically uh, the size but we want to get maybe we'll do oh, that yeah. next week get more in depth and then obviously still have our, talk about that. still have our flip of the week okay let's now get into um we have a topic that i have here and it's about sexual predators now hey, this is a very uh well, not for me. I don't mind talking about it, but I mean, maybe someone who's listening didn't think we were going to talk about sexual predators on this episode. So I know it might be a little uh, uh, like a like a punch in the stomach when you hear about this. But the reason why I'm bringing it up is because um, it has been the topic of conversation on social media, specifically Twitter. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Styles. He is a decent size or. I would say a, a known uh, promoter within uh, New York City. Um, and he promotes for Duce a Duce Palooza. Duce is the Duce is a uh, is it a vodka or is it a what what is Duce? Uh, I think right. it's a cognac. Cognac. Okay. Um, I, think, I think so. Yeah, that is the one that Jay Z. That's his, right? Oh uh, yeah. 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 So Jay Z Jay Z's cognac. Um, so so. A group of people created Henny Palooza, which uh, then became, and that was just by name. They just called it Henny Palooza. They, I don't even think they had any sort of rights or contract with Hennessy. Uh, but uh, now they ended up blowing up to where they had Ducey as their official sponsor for Ducey Palooza. They go around, they have parties throughout the city and throughout the country. So there were dates throughout the year where they were coming to your city and they were having a party. Uh, well, one of the big promoters for Ducey Palooza, uh, it has been revealed that he is a sexual predator. Um, he, there were stories of numerous stories of women who have come out and said, look, I have documentation of what he did to me and uh, the conversations we've had and, and stuff proof that he sexually assaulted me so um that became the topic of conversation uh this week on twitter and um one of the questions that i guess a lot of men were asking why are women not reporting these situations to the police uh matthew i know why because I've actually spoken to people who are in that profession before. I have uh, my wife is a licensed counselor. So she has spoken to me about these issues when it comes to due to her, you know, her studies 
Uh, she has her doctorate in clinical mental health. So she knows a lot more about this. So I've spoken to her about that. But uh, so that's how I know. But I'm not not everyone has that luxury to have someone really close to you talk to you about these things. So I'm going to ask you, Matthew, um, because you also know people within the industry or within that expertise that know more information. What? Why? Why do you think men uh, ask that question? How come women don't go to the police? Uh, I. Look, okay, Jeremy, you are being very. Tr- I think just because that's a, that's like the obvious question to answer to ask. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like it's such a, like a simple answer when it really isn't. You I'm, know what I'm saying? Like, you you could go to the police, but they might not. You you gotta like. What's the next step after that is where it gets like super dicey. And I feel like a lot of people don't really like going to the police because of that. Exactly. Um, For example, if I were to get shot and let's say I survived, um, I could go to the police and say, hey, I was shot at this location. Mm -hmm. Um, This is what I saw. This person wearing this, this and that. And then let's say the police end up finding the individual. They can then trace back the gun and say, "Okay, this bullet bullet fragments that were in my body match the bullet fragments from the markings from the barrel of the gun that this person has also the gunpowder residue matches everything boom we have our suspect boom let's now uh charge and prosecute thing with sexual crimes the evidence or lack of evidence can be the problem also let's not try to skirt around the elephant in the room like this is a very misogynistic society so men are tend to be men tend to be in power in a lot of these positions so at times and when i say i'm just saying at times because i don't know the physical data i if someone said most of the time and when i say someone like an expert if they said most of the time men don't try to pursue these situations within the legal system i would believe them that's how that's how prevalent i think it is i think when it comes to these situations a lot of women are told well we don't have enough evidence or well um did you do a rape kit or well we even get oh well were you asking for it or did you set yourself up in this situation for this to happen instead of actually trying to address the situation that hey we have a sexual predator out there we need to get them off the streets so i'm gonna ask you this question matthew as a man and we're both men i wish we actually had uh a woman that was able to come on the show today but we weren't able to get any um what is the next step that men have to take to make sure that women feel safe within public shit that is bro what uh i have no idea we uh first and foremost we probably gotta get rid of donald trump i assumed you know what i'm saying (laughs) he gotta just be putting a lot of like uncertainty and just people's mindsets just across the globe you know someone's gonna be like how did you bring donald trump into this what you mean how (laughs) i understand what you mean he's a terrible man i mean we have a president free world you're right we have a president his base is out here doing that wild stuff too i'd assume they go to rallies with automatic weapons (laughs) but uh I, i think we as men first of all have to 
understand that no is no. Oh, absolutely. And also understand the social cues of no, because not every no is going to be an explicit no. But you also got to understand that that also means no, like, ah, nah, or it could be something else. Uh, we got to pick up on nonverbal cues. Um, and more importantly, I think we as, and I'm saying men because I'm talking within uh, a heterosexual uh, uh, relationship, um, but even part, even same sex partners, they have to understand no is no. And then, and ultimately, the big thing, in my opinion, has to be we just have to know what's right and wrong. Like, <laughs> I think that's what it is. Moral compass. Yeah, exactly. That is the more important thing. We have to know what is right and wrong first, and then also understand that no means no. And to understand that coercion is not a game it's not part of the thrill it's not part of the hunt like obviously men like to pursue women but coercion should not be part of the pursuit if after you try and pursue you know by talking small talk and or you got their number or their social media <laughs> information and then you know you initiate and say hey these are my intentions what do you think about this and that young lady says, well, no, nah, I'm not cool with that. It shouldn't then be sending another message or sending calling again or trying to meet up again to ask the same question. You already know what it is. They already said no. And they and most of the time they'll tell you why they're saying no. <laughs> At this point, you just got to be like, all right, well, you chalk it up as the L as a man and you move on. It, coercion should never be part of the pursuit. You have anything else to add to this, Matthew? I totally agree. Yeah, man. Yeah, is no. this, that that's what it is. Um, in the situation with Chris Styles, mm, there was only one individual where I just kind of was like, "He's clearly in the wrong." But you also put yourself in the situation, and most of the time, I don't think that's the case with women. I don't think they put themselves in situations to be for this to happen so that that's where i'll leave it at that uh, a lot of people say oh well they shouldn't have been doing this this and that no like you know they should be able to exist um and really everyone, everyone should be able to exist without the worry of being like you should be able to exist without the worry Absolutely. of being preyed on you know so um so yeah uh, there's very few situations where i'm like yeah yeah you kind of like mm you kind of allowed or you 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 there's culpability but for the most part there's no culpability in being sexually preyed on so that that's all i gotta say about that uh katie current is in the news katie couric uh opened up on a podcast where she said she was uncomfortable during an interview with denzel washington and uh, she says how she asked Denzel Washington a question about and she said, uh, Holly, should Holly, Hollywood folks stay away from issues like politics and stuff? So Denzel said, oh, well, um, I don't know who Hollywood folks are. He was like, Hollywood is a place where they make movies and they put stars on the sidewalk. He was like, but I don't know who Hollywood folks are. So then she said, oh, well, she tried to rephrase and say, oh, well, what about, you know, 
people like you, actors. And then Denzel said, well, I'm not. I He's like, I'm not an actor. He said, I act as my profession. He's like, but I'm a human being. Like, me being an actor doesn't make me. So when you say stuff like that, you know, that should actors be part of this it rubs them the wrong way also more importantly we do not ask doctors and lawyers to stay away from or to not talk about their feelings on politics and religion and other things (laughs) we it seems like we don't have a problem with common folks talking about politics and religion and things like that and sports but soon as a athlete or a celebrity somebody with influence then it's like oh 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 oh, maybe you should stick away because you don't know anything about it what makes the doctor or the lawyer more knowledgeable about it what makes the scientist more knowledgeable about politics than the celebrity what makes the teacher or the nurse or the janitor like know more about it like that's the thing and that's that's what denzel was pointing to what 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 is it about people like me that you say makes us not credible enough to speak on these issues. And that's when Katie Kirk said, oh, I felt uncomfortable uh, during that time. And I'm going to rewind this all the way back to what we spoke about probably about an hour ago in this podcast, (laughs) where we spoke about how white women tend to, when they're put in situations, when they're called out on issues, they then try to blame and deflect and then try to end up becoming the victim. And it, I even listened to the clip. She really did come across as if she was the victim. You insulted Denzel Washington by this comment or question. And then now you feel insulted because he's like, yo, why are you? That doesn't even make sense. Like, come up with a better question or come should've up. Ran past these, should have <laughs> ran these questions past his publicist. <laughs> so, yeah. What? So, uh, so, yeah, that's why Katie Kirk is in the news right now. Um, did you listen to the uh, new Meg the Style and Beyonce, Beyonce song? I did. Um, is it, I haven't listened to it All the proceeds are going to COVID-19. I have not listened to the song yet. Is it a good song, Matthew? I, I lean solid. I lean on you because you're also a it's knowledgeable solid. person. It's solid. It's solid. You're a knowledgeable person in music, so you say it's a solid song. Cool. Is Beyonce and Meg Thee Stallion? How could it not be a hit? Perfect. I, I feel you right there. I feel you right there. How can it not be a hit? It should be. Should be the a hit. The only on reason some it's extent. not a hit is because no one can go outside right now. Perfect. Do you think that played in a role? in the amount of hype for the song to the fact that we literally there's nothing going on oh the streams are gonna do numbers for sure i hope like it's beyonce make the stallion what could you not want Mm -hmm. other than you know no corona but all right let's now get to the about time you watch that movie review let's get Um, it let's get it every week now this is week four where I, Jeremy John, watches a movie, a classic or critically acclaimed movie for the very first time. And then I give my review. I have several criteria, and then I rate from one to five, uh, average out the scores for a grand total. I'm going to recap the movies that I have watched already. Um, I have watched Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, Inception, and now old country no country for old men um now matthew 
over the week, I added another criteria. So I used, I used to have five. I've added a sixth. So my criteria are acting, script slash screenplay, uh, screenwriting, uh, plot, music slash soundtrack, cinematography, and interest level. I added the interest level after Inception to um, <laughs> to just kind of make it fair and to talk about why. And this is my interest level. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go through the scores already. Uh, Shawshank Redemption, I uh, give it a 4.5 out of 5. Um, Pulp Fiction, a 4.83 out of 5. Inception, even adding the interest level, it dropped in the score because I gave that an interest level of a 3, just an average interest level. Uh, so now Inception has dropped down even further. Got down last week, it was a 3.8. Now it's a 3.76. So this week, no Country for Old Men. It was defi- de- sorry, directed by Ethan and Joel Cohen. No Country for Old Men uh, won several Academy Awards in 2008. One for Best Motion Picture of the Year. Uh, best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role, which was Javier Bardem. And Best Achievement in Directing was the, Co- uh, the Cohen Brothers. And Best Writing Adapted Screenplay by the Cohen brothers. I uh, just want to give a brief um, summary of the movie. Um, it is set in Western Texas. And uh, the lead character is surprisingly. Actually, who do you think the lead character was in that movie? I think it's Tommy Lee Jones, but the way the it's, it's hard to say the way it's shot and stuff it's almost like the lead director should have probably been and um man i'm fumbling with his name real quick the lead director should have i mean the lead character should have probably been um uh, josh brolin which is llewellyn moss uh <laughs> llewellyn he's a welder and and a vietnam vet this is set in western texas in, a, in 1980 um and he is hunting and while he's hunting he ends up rolling up on a group of individuals who are all dead except one uh, and it was a drug deal gone bad uh, gone awry. The, the one the one guy who's alive is uh presumed to be mexican uh, he's speaking in english because this is on a border border town and um he's asking for water he Llewellyn says he doesn't have water, but Llewellyn ends up finding a suitcase that has $2.4 million in the suitcase. He takes the suitcase, goes back to his trailer park. He's there. He can't sleep at night. He's kind of like, man, uh, you know, I feel bad. He ends up going back to the scene where the drug deal had gone bad to try and give the man water. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is wild. Try to give him water. While he's there, a group of individuals slash his tires and they start pursuing him through the desert. He ends up running and he ends up dropping down a cliff into the river. He ends up swimming and escaping away. And he's uh he, he's able to escape. But this, I guess they're insinuating it's a cartel that's now after him because they're like, where's this money? Boom. Let's now flash flash flashback to the beginning of the movie. Uh Javier Bardem's character Anton Chigurh is a assassin. 
He's walking around with a um, uh, a type of air compressor gun that's used hey. to used to <laughs> stun animals uh, before slaughter. He's using this gun, and he's just walking around. Uh, he gets stopped by the police. He gets a he gets arrested. Hey. While he's in the police station, he ends up using the handcuffs and ends up slitting the throat of the police officer. He escapes. He ends up now carjacking a guy, killing him with the with the with the compressed gun. Boom, boom, boom. Anton is looking for this money also, and there's a tracker within the briefcase that Llewellyn finds out later in the movie. But Llewellyn ends up telling his wife, "Hey, you got to go to Odessa. Just lay low for there, lay low for a little bit, and then I'll meet you, and then we'll bounce because I found this money." He ends up. Then uh, being caught by not only Shiger, Anton Shiger, he ends up being caught uh, caught up by the the Mexican cartel. But what he did was he put the briefcase in the in the vent in in, in his motel. Uh, so they're in there waiting. The cartel's in there waiting for uh, Llewellyn. Llewellyn ends up getting a room adjacent to them, and while he's about to take the briefcase out of the vent anton comes in ends up killing all everyone in the in the cartel and so llewellyn escapes anton is still able to now find llewellyn with the money and he's able to track him down into another city this is where llewellyn and anton end up having their their face off llewellyn was able to escape and was able to injure anton Shiger in the process and Llewellyn decides to cross the US Mexican border in the process he throws the briefcase of money over the bridge by the Rio Grande he goes to Mexico because he's wounded he ends up passing out he goes to the hospital in Mexico Anton ends up he's ends up smuggling supplies from a pharmacy to heal himself from his gunshot wounds boom 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 well an agent, federal agent, ends up uh, finding Llewellyn. And he says, look, man, these assassins and this cartel, they want their money, man. <laughs> just just give me the money. I can give it back to them, and we will handle this. You could be able to live your life. Llewellyn saying, nah, man, I found the money. It's mine. I ain't, I ain't, I'm not going away. And he's like, look, <laughs> they're going to come after you. He's like, it's my money, blah, blah, blah. The agent, which is portrayed by Her- Woody Harrelson, ends up going to the to his hotel, and Anton Chigurh ends up tracking the agent down, ends up killing uh, Harrelson's character, and he's still now tracking Llewellyn Moss. In the process, some people from the drug cartel end up finding Llewellyn's mother-in-law and da- and wife. And they end up tracking Llewellyn at a hotel in El Paso. While they roll up there, they end up killing Llewellyn and um, end up escaping. And at the same time, Anton Chigurh was involved also. He ends up hiding in the hotel room and he's able to then take the money eventually. How Tommy Lee Jones plays into this. Yes, he is the lead actor, but he's like narrator and um, he comes up on the scene and he realizes everything that's going on the guy that they were trying to protect is now dead the money is now gone 
and eventually the movie ends that way oh sorry i forgot one part anton sugar even goes to sorry anton doesn't have the money anton ends up finding uh llewellyn's wife who had just recently buried her mother and he ends up finally asking for the money she's like nah i ain't got the money so he kills her and in the process he's driving away he gets into a serious car accident uh but because he is a known assassin (laughs) he's like i gotta get away he saw these kids who were riding their bicycle he was like look i'll give you 500 dollars for that shirt he gives him money boom he takes the shirt, uses it as a tourniquet, walks away before the police can come and the paramedics can come. And that's how the movie ends. Um, and the reason why, uh, oh, Tommy Lee Jones, his character, he ends up retiring as a sheriff because he's just like, look, man, this 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 world is way too violent for me. I can't do this anymore. And that's why I say it's no country for old men. Let's now get to my actual rating. Um... And like I said, six criterias, acting, script, plot, music slash soundtrack, cinematography, and interest level. When it comes to the acting, I would give it a five. Everyone did a very good job, uh, especially Javier Bardem. Man, he was a real sociopath. <laughs> real sociopath. In Great this actor. Movie. Oh, man. Real sociopath in this movie. Give that a five. The script, I would give it a four um the plot i would also give it a four and the reason why i didn't give it a five is because after a while it's a two-hour movie but really oh, it, it could have been wrapped up in an hour and a half there was like some parts it's where it's a just little long a little drawn out and i was just like ah you could have could have got this a little better um the cinematography i give it a five it's great it's like minimalistic, Very pretty movie. but also a lot of landscape, a lot of wide angles um, showing the desert and the landscape of Texas. Uh, the interest level, I gave it a four. And part of the reason is, like I said, it could have been wrapped up in an hour and a half. But instead, it's, it was a two and a half hours. Um, now, music slash soundtrack. I have this as not applicable. And the reason why I have it's this is not as, any music in this movie, <laughs> There's right? no music <laughs> at all. And when I read up on it and did research, it was done on purpose. They wanted just sense. dialogue. And then, and that's the thing. When I read more and more, I was like, you know what? There was no music, but every scene where there was, where people were getting murked, it was intense where the music would have just drawn away from it. Like mm-hmm. it was so intense. Like the silence was actually deafening. That's yeah. that's how it no, was. No, no, definitely, definitely. So I'm giving a not a not applicable. So I'm I'm basing these categories on five or basing my score on five categories for this one. So that's even good, though it got an overall score of twenty two, it was a twenty two out of twenty five instead of twenty two out of thirty. That will give it the grand rating of a 4.4. What do you think about my rating? That's decent. I did feel like the movie gets a little long sometimes, but it's a really good movie. Really good movie. Like I said, won a lot of awards. Uh, and right now, um, if I would have to rank uh, my four movies so far, uh, Pulp Fiction is number one. No Country for Old Men is number two. Shawshank Redemption is three. And... 
Inception is at number four. So Inception is right no now, longer right now. Inception right now. is no longer <laughs> on right the now. metal on the metal uh <laughs> on the Still metal some stage. Room for improvement. We got look, we've been giving you too many good movies. We gotta give you some terrible trash movies to watch. <laughs> You've been living good. So this later this week we will go on Instagram and put up another poll for the next two movies to watch uh, that I need to watch. Uh for this one, um I actually it was between Fargo and No Country for Old Men. The reason why I had No Country for Old Men going up against Fargo is because they were both directed by the, by the same brothers, and they both won Oscar awards. So I said, let me put up these two and see which one does better. Uh, but you no country. Watch the uh, Fargo TV show. People told me that's really good, but uh, first two to... seasons. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yes, that is my movie review for No Country for Old Men. In the about time you watch that movie review. Let's now get into our Reddit topic of the week. Every week we go on Reddit. We find an interesting topic or discussion and bring it to you all. This week, technically it's not on Reddit. It's on Twitter, but hey. It's close. It's close, close enough. They're, they're social media adjacent. So. It's almost this adjacent. Oh my God. <laughs> it's almost the same thing. This week, uh, we're going to talk about the pay disparities among genders in sports uh this stemmed from a conversation on twitter uh let me give this backstory real quick so adam schefter uh last week the during uh last thursday before the draft uh he said uh, it's great to finally have a sporting event going on in the united states someone retweeted a verified twitter user retweeted i guess you forgot the wnba had their draft a week prior then another verified twitter user said um i'm kind of upset at how people are trying to pretty much put the wnba in the same category with the four major professional sports in america and then verified twitter user and wnba star natasha cloud of the washington mystics said Yo, um, DM me your address uh, so we could play one on one, bitch boy, and don't back out. <laughs> so, and I, I, like and, and I, the reason, yes, that she said she called him a bitch boy and said, <laughs> don't, and don't back out. <laughs> so what? then that nobody then, is trying to play her from Twitter, dog. There's no way. So then that went into man yeah WNBA players are really good let let's stop acting like they're not good basketball players which then morphed into man they get they get paid they get paid garbage compared to NBA players and they should be getting paid more which then morphed into other conversations so I chimed in on Twitter and I said look you're right WNBA players should be getting paid more and actually, they will be getting paid more starting this season when this season actually starts Absolutely. because they just got a new CBA, which kicks collective in this season, agreement. collective bargaining agreement, where the average salary jumps up exponentially. You're going to have players who can potentially make a couple million a season playing in the WNBA, which would then allow them to just have to play WNBA games and not have to play overseas. But within this Twitter thread, 
many individuals and many women were saying, well, the WNBA players should be getting similar contracts to NBA players. That's not fair. Um, So that's when I say, hey, look, I understand women should be getting paid more and they will be. And it is all at this point, based on the revenue that the WNBA makes, it is actually fair because the new CBA WNBA players are going to get 50 percent of league revenues, 50 percent of league revenues, unlike the NBA, which is 45 percent right now. 40, NBA players get 45% of all league revenues. Now, let's let's go back to what, what I tweeted. I said, look, WNBA players need to get paid fairly, and I think it is pretty fair right now with the new CBA, but let's not use the NBA and their revenues as a reason why WNBA players should be getting paid more. So then I got few tweets back and forth where people said oh well that's not fair that's uh discrimination and i said no that actually is fair because the wnba is the wnba and b and the nba is the nba and i said the nba made close to eight billion last season and the wnba made close to 75 million last season 75 million and eight billion with a b big differences so then i had some people say oh well the nba owns the wnba no the nba no longer and i'm gonna repeat this again no longer owns the wnba the nba used to own the wnba it was their sister league several years ago and i think it was as much as 10 years ago the NBA allowed those uh, NBA team owners to decide if they wanted to purchase the lead, the teams from the NBA. And then if the teams that were left over, they went to private bidders. And the WNBA was the WNBA. They were their own entity. The NBA is their own entity. Which then... The conversation morphed to, well, it is actually the same because look what's happening with the U.S. Soccer Federation and the discrimination lawsuit that the women's team um, filed against U.S. U.S. Soccer Federation. So then I explain, listen, the U.S. Soccer Federation is the governing body for U.S. men's soccer, U.S. women's soccer, U.S. junior boys soccer, U.S. junior girls soccer. They are the governing body for U.S. soccer. So, yes, there should not be income or wage disparities within U.S. Soccer Federation, especially when the revenue is actually more for the women. The women for Team USA actually made more for USA soccer than the men did. So, yes, there was a huge income or salary disparity. And the women are right. And they're going to get this based on the litigation. I haven't been following where it is right now. But it the, the, the path is that they're going to make more money, which will be either equal or more than the men for U.S. soccer. 
So then people still were bringing up, well, if it's that way for USA soccer, why isn't it that way for the WNBA relationship with the NBA? And I had to keep on telling people, look, the difference is the NBA is not the governing body for all basketball. Haven't you haven't you heard that before from Matthew from people that they think the NBA is the governing basketball governing body for, for all, all basketball? <laughs> yeah, Chinese basketball, like every type of basketball. It's not NBA is like America only. So it's then someone then, someone then said, oh, well, what about FIBA and how they discriminate with their I said, look, FIFA is the International Federation for Soccer. Is the governing body for all soccer in the in the world, and FIFA controls literally all soccer in the world, even on the club level or the professional level. There is the international play and then the professional league play. FIBA, which is the Federation for International Basketball, is different. FIBA just worries about international play of basketball. They do not control the aspects of professional leagues in any country if anything they just give a suggestion they're like hey all right nba can you do this for us to help the international game and the nba will say yay or nay but they actually have no control over the nba so then the conversation morphed to well what is the nba why is the nba not promoting the wnba enough and it's like hold on the nba is promoting the wnba the NBA is actually subsidizing. And for those that don't know what subsidizing means, it means they're actually helping out the WNBA with their revenues. Not only that, they're playing their games on NBA TV. And let's be let's also understand something. When it comes to television, the leagues don't promote on television. The networks promote on television. And let's break in, let's break this down, Matthew. If ESPN, which paid upwards of two billion a year to the NBA to show their games, and then the same ESPN paid ten million to the WNBA, which league do you think they're gonna have more commercials for? Uh, the NBA, and why is that? Uh, I the NBA. Uh, the NBA has been like a worldwide game for like a very, very long time, and uh, the N- the WNBA has kind of like it's a def- it's just a newer league, and so, unfortunately, it's less popular than the NBA. It's only twenty years in, twenty about twenty one or twenty two years in. The, the NBA, NBA wasn't even about to make it. Like that far when it first started, I don't think the NBA is approaching 75. That's what I'm saying. But the and first 20 was rough. The first 20, you mean like the first close to 30, <laughs> 40? It was a long time. I mean, the NBA was about to fold in the 80s until Larry Bird, Magic, and Michael Jordan came on the scene. It but was a long time of struggles in the NBA. It was. But more importantly, the reason why I asked you that question is. If you're an investor, Matthew, uh-huh. and you invest in something for $10 and you invest in something for $100, what are you going to be more focused on? 
That's a tough. That's a difficult question to answer, but probably the hundred dollar investment. Exactly. More than likely, exactly. You're going to be more likely, and now every situation is going to be a little different. But if I put up money, or even betting, if I bet ten dollars at the slots and I lost the ten dollars, I'm gonna be like, okay, I lost ten dollars, but hey, it's ten dollars. But hey, if I put a hundred dollars in slots and I'm playing trying to win that. and I'm getting to fifty dollars, I've used fifty dollars and I haven't really won any money, you're gonna be like, hold on, let me continue playing or continue investing to see if I can finally get that jackpot. And that's what that's all it comes down to advertising. It isn't that, oh, you're being discriminatory. No, you're just it's called an investment. I invested in this, this amount of money. I'm going to focus more on this investment than that investment now let's also be fair here name a woman's sport that gets more money in uh that gets more promotion on espn matthew than than their male counterpart uh more promotion on espn Mm -hmm. maybe women's soccer thank you and maybe thank you and that is a great example because ESPN does promote more women's soccer than men's soccer. The they men's do. soccer team sucks traditionally. And, though, and, and the women's team is more popular than the men's and better. team. And better. And better. <laughs> so it gets back to the, when it comes to advertising, they're going to advertise what the general public wants. And this is one thing that really does annoy me. And it's not all women. But it annoys me when women chime in and say, you should be doing more for this women's sport and then they themselves don't do it. For example, when I asked several women within the the Twitter thread, do you even watch the WNBA? Only one of them said, I do. Mind you, this thread had 10 plus people in it where it was me and like seven other women. And then it was two other guys to make the 10. So out of seven, one person said, oh, I actually watched the WNBA. (laughs) And everyone else is just like, oh, but this is how it should be run. I just don't understand how you could come to that claim. And more importantly, and this is my charge for women. If you want women specifically in the WNBA to make more money, to have more exposure, Ultimately, more women need to watch the product. And let's not talk about the let's not forget the elephant in the room here. The WNBA. When it comes to and this is not me saying it, this is what data is showing and what people have been approached, have been asked about. I'm going to use an example. Back in the day, the NBA had an issue. Because all the stars ended up being black. And white people said, I don't like the NBA anymore because they aren't people like me. The WNBA has a a perceived, and I'm saying perceived because I don't believe this. A perceived issue where women see WNBA players as all being lesbians. And not all women like that. 
And not all men like that. There are people who are homophobic. I'm just putting it out there. So the league is known to be a league that has is full of lesbians. And when people say that, they say it as a derogatory term. These are not my words. I'm telling you what people have said on social media, have said on mainstream media, that the league, the players themselves, people don't like. So if you want the league to grow, we have to get rid of this stereotype that it's only lesbian women's and only lesbian women go to these games we need all women to go to these games we need all women to watch on tv we need girls who want to actually strive to play in the WNBA. and now we are starting to have some of those women who literally grew up in an era where there was the WNBA. when the WNBA started the women who joined the league didn't have a WNBA. They didn't have a women's league in America to look forward to. But now we're starting to have now we have women who grew up where they always knew the WNBA is here. So this is my charge for women. Play the sport. Also, market the sport on your own. Go to the games. Support. Because back in the day, how many have you been to a Mystics game, Matthew? Uh no. Okay, so back in the day, I, I mean, I used to go all the time. Partly the reason why I don't go now is I'm an adult and I have adult things that I need to handle. But when I was younger, WNBA games were in the summer. So I would it was during summer break. So I would go to games all the time. Those games were near sellouts. There were more people at Mystics games than Wizards games. Outside of the Michael Jordan era for the Wizards. There were more people going to Mystics games than Wizards games. Now... It's the complete opposite. They had to move them from the Capital One Arena to their own, to the practice facility down um, down in Southeast, in Congress Heights, in an arena that I think it's 5,000 people could hold, I think, if I'm correct, because they were having an issue with attendance. So my charge for women is actually go to the games, actually support, actually buy merchandise, actually know who these people are. Because when you say stuff like, Oh, they should be getting this and that. But then you are misinformed on the information. It only hurts the women's game overall. Because this is what the haters and the bigots and the misogynists are going to say. You don't know what you're talking about. And they're going to have some merit to it. And it's very similar to what's happening in our political climate right now. Where if you say something that isn't credible and and a conservative pounces on that then you lose all credibility let's not lose credibility on this issue women go out to support the women's game when you support the women's game they will ultimately get more exposure and ultimately get more money we do have some uh last minute news um some breaking news i just wanted to drop the sound effect because i ain't gonna lie it ain't even that big of a news but uh breaking news the 2020 Little League World Series has been canceled. First Little League World Series that has been canceled since 1947. So, um, unfortunately for the young men and, or I think there are young, I think there are girls that play in it too, I think. But for the young boys and girls who are part of the Little League World Series, they will not be able to participate this year. Some other news and the reason why we didn't talk about it 
uh, today is there's some news coming out of the NCAA about possibly playing, paying these athletes. So we'll get more into that when more information comes out uh, next week. Uh, let's uh, give our regular shout out. Shout out to OSS980, Harold D, Jeff Aaron. Shout out to Curls and Sports. Shout out to um, Soggy Nachos. Shout out to Shut Your Face with Bernard, Nil, and Samesh. Shout out to Tampering Seizing. Shout out to uh, After Further Review Podcast. Shout out to uh, Half Street High Heat. Um, uh, what You Expect Podcast. We also have who the finish line with a PH finish line podcast. Also shout out to um, my boys uh, Darren and Gerard. They're coming or Gerard has something out that he is possibly uh, he has a podcast that's coming out. So we're gonna know more about that. Shout out to Jay Bobby and Rios on overtime locked on Wizards podcast with my boy Troy Halliburton. Shout out to I mentioned shut your face already. Um, that's all our podcast. Oh, um, urgency podcast. Just bear with us. Uh, also, uh, John Willis's podcast. We don't know. We don't got our shit together podcast. Also, shout out to our unofficial DJ because I haven't spoke to him yet. DJ Rasta. <laughs> that's my my cousin Choi. So shout out to him. Also, shout out to Big Thad who came on last week. Uh, Clay, Tony, LJ, Erica, Warren, Christina, Laurel, Kayla. Um, Leslie, Jacaro, um, uh, also uh, James, who uh, actually uh, the topic on Draymond Green that was partly his his um, his opinion. So then I chimed in. So James Gilbert, shout out to him. Uh, any other shout outs, Matthew? Um, I think I think we got everybody. All right, Ming Rainer's doll parts, eat the city, DC, Trezo Beach. Uh, thank you, Matthew, for everything you do. And until next time, everyone, sports reality. Peace.